0: Welcome to our last week of our series called Now What? Where hopefully it hasn't felt like a complete dumpster fire for you guys. Hopefully you have pulled out a lot of good stuff throughout this series. And this series has been just about the unexpected in life, right? Like just the uncertainties that we all face. And this last two years have been Pretty much that, just one uncertainty after another. And you guys are probably experiencing that right now because you were certain when you came in here today, you're going to see Jonathan standing here right now, right? And instead, you're getting me. But I'm excited to be able to pull out some of the truths that we've been building on throughout this series and just come to this final week because I believe that there's something that God is wanting us to learn, something that He's wanting us to pull all of this together and pull out in a concept that we're going to look at today. that concept called becoming. And maybe you've heard that word before. There's been books written about it. And as I was thinking through this, it, it, my memory went back and I have this great aunt that would use this word. And she was always just prim and proper to me, like almost she should be from England. But sometimes she would say, well, that dress is very becoming. And usually she would do like a hmm after it or something like that, or that is very becoming. Hmm. And it was like, what does she mean by that? Or maybe you've heard it described as like that beard is very becoming on him. And what that means is like when we're wearing that dress, we have that beard. It's like we're our best. That is the best that we can look. That is the best that we can be in that moment. And so we're used to that word like that. Or if you're around middle schoolers or high schoolers, you work in that arena, you have one in your home. Sometimes you've heard this concept called the glow up, the great glow up. Right, It's like whenever a girl just look, sees a sixth or seventh grade boy and they're like, he's cute, he's funny, but like he still throws stuff at the lunch table or whatever. But you, you see something inside him. You, you know that there's something there. It just is going to take time to develop. And so oftentimes they'll just say, I think he's cute, but I'm just going to wait on his glow up. I know it's going to come. And as a mother of daughters, like I think that's some amazing wisdom. And I'm glad that they've held on to that. But like we're not here to talk about the external things of becoming the way we look or or especially about the maturity of middle school boys. That's not why you're here. And by the way, if you work with middle schoolers, we applaud you, way to go. It's a season that doesn't last forever. You guys hang in there, but we applaud you for taking one for the team and working with middle schoolers. But we're all kind of waiting on our glow up, right? And I think that there is a spiritual aspect to this that Jesus wants us to look at. And the reason why I know this is we look in the book of Ecclesiastes and it was written by King Solomon who was one of the wisest men that the scripture tells us on the earth. And one of the things that he says in Ecclesiastes is that God has put eternity down into the hearts of all men. And that's kind of fascinating when you think about it, because we all know that we are created in an image of God, meaning that God's fingerprints are all over each one of us, but In addition to that, the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon said he's put eternity deep down into the hearts of all men. And what I think that means is, and we know it's true when we really think about it, is there's something deep down inside us that pulls us to something greater right? We know that there is something in us that is greater than who we actually are. There's a greater end to what we can see. And I think that's what King Solomon was trying to describe. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to see. And it's that idea of becoming. That is how we are going to live out and fulfill that greatness that he's put deep down inside us. And the beauty is we get to spend our lives discovering what that is. And so of course, no one demonstrates this better than Jesus and no one teaches it better than Jesus. And so what he did while we get to see his time on earth, he told us to be with him. He calls us to be with him and he calls us to come with him. And when we put the two together, we get our becoming, being with Jesus and coming with Jesus. And so being with Jesus, I feel like you could explain this if I asked you, what would that mean? What does it mean to you to be with Jesus? And I think we got that down pat, especially as believers, because we know it's worship. Just what you guys just experienced. It is agreeing with God who he says he is. And in that process, you realize who you are. And you get to exchange that for who he is and his love over you. Or maybe it's just through your personal Bible study or just reading scripture. And sometimes you get to read it and it may not click all of a sudden, but you get to wrestle with it. You get to ask God, what does that really mean? And what am I supposed to do with that? So you have that time where you're studying scripture, or you're praying, you're bringing your concerns to God, which he wants us to do. You're meditating on it, or you're just resting in who he is, which is a great practice to to do. And so I think we get that, the doing, and I know as a church, you totally get the come with me, come come, do the work in the world with me that Jesus describes because you're well known for it in this community. When, when I am out about in the community, I always hear how generous the summit is and how giving the summit is and how much they want to do and how much they want to help people. So you know what that is like. And basically just coming with Jesus is taking part in what he's doing, his miraculous work of restoring the earth and reconciling us to him. And so you, you have that down pat, you know what that looks like. The being with Jesus and the coming with Jesus. But I believe sometimes we kind of get off kilter a little bit and what Jesus is asking us to do and what can actually happen is the being and the doing can happen at the same time. They're actually meant to flow together. But sometimes, because we're human, we tend to get, we drift one way or the other. Some of us are just naturally prone to be doers, and some of us are naturally prone to be beers. Like the snow, for instance, we're on week three, and the beers are like, give me another weekend, give me another Saturday, or hey, how about a Monday? Give me a Monday where I can just be at home, right? And the doers are like, three and done. This is enough, like you're out there, you're looking through your cabinets, your garage, trying to find anything that you can slide on, anything that you can do because you are just done with the snow, you're ready to be out, you gotta do something. And if you are watching us outside of the South, you got to understand that when we say snow here in the South, it means lockdown, automatic. The whisper of snow, like things just stop and things get still. But if you're a beer, you, you like that because now everybody has to be still, right? Or if you're a doer, you're like, no, not another one. It's fun for a minute, but I got to get back out there. And so part of this is just our natural bend. It's just the way we're wired. Some of it is just environmental. We have to. Like you can't not do things. You have to do things. And so some of this is just where life takes us but sometimes we tend to get off kilter, like I said. And I want you to look at this this picture just to kind of give us a visual image because we're gonna talk about the extremes of these two things for just a little bit. So here's our beers over here. And what happens is that just means there's more inflow than there is outflow. That just means that you are soaking all the goodness of God in. You are loving it, you love that grace, you love his compassion, you love his mercy, and you are just taking it in, which is awesome. But the problem with that is you don't have a channeled outflow for that. And so what begins to happen is you just begin to saturate in it. And what was supposed to be life-giving and life-filling now just becomes a flood. And we've all probably experienced that at some point in our lives or another. When there's just too much of one thing, it begins to take the life out of it. For the last couple of years, I've been trying to become more of a plant person because plants have oxygen and plants are good and they're beautiful and they're great to decorate with, at least that's what HTTV says. But they are, they're great to have around. But you gotta know how to take care of them. And so for the longest time, I thought, you know, what do plants need? They need water. What do I need? Everybody's telling me, you drink more water, you drink more water, right? How many? Glasses of water, are you supposed to drink a day? A lot, nobody can even do it. You drink a lot of water. And so I thought that's what my plants need is they need all this water. And so I would just go at it. And then you would come down the next morning and there's just the stick in the pot and all the leaves are just around it, just sitting in the messy, the the mush, just that yuck. Because I thought I was doing the right thing, but what was happening, I was just oversaturating it. Something that was meant to be life-giving something that was meant to give it life and what it needed actually began just to be stagnant and began to take the life out of it. And so what we see with those that are just your overbeers is that internal filling without outward expression just no longer is life-giving. Actually, it's stagnant. And you guys know what stagnant water begins to do after a little bit, right? It begins to stink. And so those are our beers, our overbeers. Let's take a look at our doers. And for some of you, you immediately look at this picture and you're like, you immediately identify, right? You're like, I feel like that. I feel, my soul feels like that cracked ground because I feel like I'm always on the go. There's always these demands on me. I'm always having to meet them. And so what that looks like is just your inflow is, I'm sorry, just your outflow is less than your inflow. So you become like this. And I think a lot of our lives, we can identify with that. Because how many of you, even this morning, you asked someone, hey, how are you? How are you doing? And the response was, I am well rested and great. Hardly ever. I mean, and when you get an answer like that, you're like, what is going on with them? Like, they've got nothing going on in their life, right? So we tend to think that way. We tend to kind of drift over to this do side. But all this external activity without this inward feeling just leads to exhaustion. And I think we've probably all been there at one time or another. So what is it that pulls us from one extreme to the other? And we've talked about just our environmental factors. We've just talked about our lean, our personalities, just how we were raised, how we're wired, and all that's good. But I think that if we're gonna get to this center where Jesus is standing, where he wants us to become, we're gonna have to go a little bit deeper. We're gonna to have to get a little bit more personal and we can all do that because we're friends in here. So we're gonna to have to look at the source. What is really driving us to these extremes? What is it that pulls us one way or another? And so let's look at our beers first. So I think sometimes when you're a beer, you just don't wanna slide over to the center just because it's frightening. And just like the story that Brooke described with someone stepping into groups, it takes a little bit of courage to put yourself out there sometimes. And so you're meeting new people or you just may be doing something that you're not familiar with. And it can be a little bit intimidating. Or maybe you just don't think you're going to do it right. So you just decide it's better for me just to stay over here. I got my graces and my goodness with God and that is all I need so I'm just going to hang here. Or maybe it's just like overwhelming. Maybe you do have that grace and compassion that God has put down inside you and you see the needs in the world and you see the needs of the people around you, but you're like, if I take one step over there, I can't fix any of it and I'm just gonna stay back because it's just too much. And sometimes the needs of the world are too much. Or maybe you're really smart as a beer and you know that if you get in this center, it is messy out there and you are not wrong. But the fact is that that is where we often find Jesus standing is in the messy middle. But you know, it's difficult right there. It's difficult in that middle. It can be messy. Or maybe you just know like if you go over there, you've been there before and it wore you out and you promised yourself, I'm never going over on that side again. And so you've put up these boundaries, these hard boundaries. And we hear this all the time, I gotta keep my boundaries up, gotta keep my boundaries up. And sometimes those are healthy. I'm not gonna get on to you for that. Sometimes those boundaries need to be there, but sometimes you've swung so far over and you went all the way back and you've put those boundaries up and you're telling yourself, I'm not moving anymore because of those boundaries. Or sometimes you just know it's gonna cost you something, right? Moving over to where Jesus stands is gonna cost you something. And he tells us that there is a cost to following Christ. You know, it's gonna cost you your time or maybe some resources or who knows, but you know, you're gonna have to give something up. And so you just tend to stay over here on this B side because you know, you've got the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of God. And it just, it's good right there. You're not wrong. It is good. Or maybe if you're a doer, Let's look at the doers, and I feel like sometimes the doers start out good, right? They're wanting to do for God, but sometimes our motivation gets off. And sometimes what began to be the work of God, we just tend to do it for acceptance or approval or the applause. And that's not all bad because we all need that affirmation, right? We all want to know that we're doing well, but sometimes that's our motivating factor. It's like we need people to know that we're doing something. We need that approval. We need that applause. And so we crave that. And so we begin just to do everything. Or sometimes you're a doer and you just know like things just got to get done you got that list and you're gonna cross it off, right? And you cross that list off, you you are the hero for the day if you can get everything on your list checked off. But sometimes you're just doing it all because you don't think anybody else can do it just as good as you can. so that's what drives you to the doing. Or sometimes like we had already mentioned, it's just the demands of life. You're trying to raise a family. You're trying to start a career. You're trying just to get all these things going. And so you end up over here just because it's just a lot. It's just the volume of life is a lot. And we've adopted this mindset that more activity equals more importance. And somehow that's where we tend to live. And the funny thing about both of these extremes is that we tend to look at each other and we tend to judge each other, don't we? Let's be honest, we do. If you guys have been in a booster club, a PTA, any type of organization, even the church, even though we're gonna be honest in here, right? We do that, we judge each other because the beers will look at the doers and they'll just say, wow, why are they running so fast? What are they doing all the time? Why don't they just slow down? Why do they gotta do everything? None of that needs to happen. Or the doers may just look at the beers and are like, I wish they'd do something. All they do is show up and eat. They let us do everything, but they just show up and eat the food and then they're out or whatever it is. You know, we're always the ones that's supplying everything and they just come and take it. And so we tend to judge each other. And the beers are just like, well, I wish they'd let somebody else have a crown. I want a crown in heaven. But the doers are like, well, I would give you the crown and let you wear it if you would just come over here and get it. And so we judge each other all the while taking our focus off where it needs to be. And it needs to be in the center where Jesus is standing, where he's asking us to become. And so before we go hating on each other for judging each other, there's a reason why we do this. And it's because we've been taught this way. It's all we know because we are having to operate in what I'm going to call the world's operating system. And it operates on what you have and what you do. And that's how we are evaluated. And it's how in this world we have to function. It's all we've known. We've been trained from it from a very young age because at your first job, when you get your 90 day review or you're going in for your yearly review and you're gonna get your merit increase or you're hoping so, right? How many of you have just gotten a merit increase because of your compassion and your kindness and you're just fun to be around? Like it never happens, right? You are judged on how well you perform, how much you do, how much can you get done, how fast can you do it? What does the quality of your lo- work look like when you do it? And that's not necessarily bad, but it's just the way that we have become to think. It's the way that we've had to become, to op- how we've come to operate. And so we've a- adopted this mindset that those who have more and those who do more are more. And it just becomes this exchange system. But if we're going to become, if we're going to be, pull out that greatness that God has put inside us, if we're going to live out that potential that he's called us to, we're going to have to move away from that mindset. We can no longer take a consumer mentality and apply it to our spirituality because it works differently And basically what I'm saying is we've got to move from the world's economy and the world's operating system to a kingdom mindset. And what that means as believers in Jesus Christ, we've all been upgraded. And this is how we've been upgraded. We've got to move to that kingdom mindset, that kingdom upgrade. And we see this, of course, demonstrated by Jesus. He taught it best. He taught it to his disciples. And then in scriptures, it is passed down to us. We get to see how we live this out, how we move from this world operating system while having to function in it, but then operate out of this kingdom mindset. And so we see Jesus all throughout scripture being alone with his disciples. They would get alone together and they would hear from God and they would just have unity together. And then we would just see Jesus go off even by himself, even apart from his disciples. And the same thing would happen. We see him praying over and over and over again in scripture. And then when they would come back together, they would typically go out and encounter some kind of problem. And so what we would see is Jesus teaching his disciples to be with him and then to go with him into the world. And putting those two together, it was their becoming. It was their maturation in who he was calling them to be. So before we can go with Jesus, the first thing we've got to do is to understand who we are in him. So to become, we must know who we are in Christ. And to do that, we're gonna dive into a little bit of a mystery here. And it's a mystery because we're gonna look at Jesus who in all his superiority and all his authority as the creator of the universe and the world with authority over everything, we see him leave that, and decide to submit to human flesh, meaning des- he decided to submit to man. And when he put on that flesh, he left all of that, he left all his rights behind. He left it in heaven and agreed to take on what we take on, meaning that he, ad- he agreed to identify with grief. He, ad- he agreed to identify with pain. He agreed to identify with loss and frustration. And the ruler of the universe, who created everything, who saw every human heart, who knew everything that was going to be and was, he agreed to be unknown. The one that should have been praised and honored, he agreed to step into human flesh and no one even know who he was, much less respect him. He agreed to become disrespected and disgraced. And in doing that, being misunderstood, it even led to his death. And so we see Jesus submit to death so that he could feel what we feel, so that he could know what we know. And so we see him doing that. And when he agreed to submit to death, an amazing thing happened. And when he did that, that, he freed us from the things that pull us to these extremes. He freed us from all the things that we are trying to chase after when he died on the cross. It's just like the song that we sang, we are no longer prisoners to that anymore because of the cross. And then when he resurrected, everything changed. Because when he resurrected, it reset our identities and it reconciled our worth. And we could think about that for a minute, that when Jesus resurrected, our identities were reset. We are no longer who we were and our worth was reestablished, meaning we now have worth. And so bondage was broken through Christ to, to figure out who we are in him. We've got to go to him because he is the only one. So what this means, if you're a doer, you no longer have to seek that approval and that applause because you know when you're with Christ and you are in Christ, you are already accepted. When you move to that kingdom mindset, you're already accepted. You no longer have to perform. You no longer have to feel like you've got to please people because you already have position in him. He's already called you his child and has given you an inheritance. You no longer have to overdo because as doers, we tend like, we just want to do and do and do because it never feels like enough, right? We do a little bit, but it just wasn't enough. It doesn't feel complete. But what Jesus is asking us to do when we bring purpose into everything that we do, when we bring him to every moment that we're in, every work that we do, he says it's enough because he's enough. It's not what we're doing, it's because he does it through us. And he says, it's enough. What if you're a beer? If you're a beer, you don't have to stay behind those lines anymore because he's already equipped you and prepared you to do the work that he's calling you to do. Whatever's keeping you on the edges of being able to step out a little bit, God is already saying to you, I've put gifts inside you. And that's what he's done for all of us believers. He's given you gifts and he's given you skill sets that he wants you to use to build up the body of Christ. And so that's what he's saying to you. I've already been there. I've already been in the messy middle. I'm standing there and I want you to come with me so you can see what it's like. He's already perfected that in you. And so you no longer have to stand behind those lines of, of being, you can move into the realm of doing. And what if you are feeling like you're gonna run out? What he says to do is you is you no longer have to operate off that mindset of scarcity that mindset if if i give i'm not going to have enough because what he's saying to you is i am your provider you can test me in that and some of you have done that recently you have found that god is your provider or what if you're the person that says you know i've got to stay behind these boundaries and what god is saying to you is like i have put boundaries for you in pleasant places. That is written in the Psalms. And I love that Psalm because what he's saying is like, I am not gonna send you out to where you don't need to be. I've put the boundaries where you need to stay and they're pleasant, they're good for you. And so the problem with all of this though, is that the world's gonna challenge our identity in Christ every single day. It just happens. So we're gonna have to retrain our brain We're gonna have to take the uncertainty of the world's value system, what changes all the time, and we're gonna have to trade it in for the certainty of our kingdom value, our kingdom mindset. Because the reality is whether we are doing or whether we are being, we can rest in Jesus Christ. Because it is because of him that these things have value. It is because of him that in our doing and our being that they can make an impact. And so once we identify in Christ, we are then motivated to identify with Christ. And what does that look like? And I love the way that um, Paul wrote this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Because when we spend time with God and we get this kingdom mindset of whose we are, that it is him that we are working out of and it is him that we are working through, we can't help but do his work. It is his love inside us that compels us. And the amazing thing about that is it's endless. It's like you don't just get like a certain portion of it and then it's done. It just is continual because we will never, ever be able to discover and uncover his greatness while we're here on this earth. It's just impossible because he's that big. And so once we get that who we are in Christ, it is never ending. The things that you can do with Christ are never ending. And so what does that look like? So if you're a beer, you gotta understand that Jesus loves being with you. He loves his time with you and you should love your time with him. But one thing that he wants to give you as a believer in him is some street cred. Because Jesus wants you to know that he's just not, it's not just book knowledge. And just knowing scripture is amazing. We gotta know that. But have you ever met someone that they're book smart? They ace the test, but then you see them out somewhere like the store or wherever and, and they can't figure out how to buy the groceries, you know? But they can figure it out on the test or like, like you're ace in chemistry, but you blow up the lab, you know, like you just can't take what was written in the book and, and apply it. And Jesus does not want us to leave us like that. He doesn't want us to look foolish like that. He's like, I want you to have some street cred. I want you to know that I am just as living and active in my time with you as I am when we're out and about. And so again, we see this lived out so greatly through the disciples. So they would go and be with Jesus. And then after that, they would always encounter some sort of crisis, some sort of uncertainty. Like people were hungry and not just one person. It it was usually like thousands of people that were hungry or people needed healing or or there was this storm coming that seemed like it was gonna overtake them. It was just always that. As you look through scripture, it was one after another. And I love how Jesus, if we read them, it's like he's he's training them. He's showing them gently how to handle, how to take that book knowledge, how to take that being knowledge and develop some street cred with it. And so we see him as they encounter all these things. And sometimes the first thing he does is he asks his disciples, what do you think we should do? And so often they were like, just send him away. Just send them away, it's easier just to send them away. We've got our time together and it's good so the rest of the people can just go. But then sometimes we would see Jesus say, well, what did we just talk about? You remember what we just did? Or you remember what we did yesterday? Let's try that again. And he would just lead them into doing, lead them into doing his work. And there was this one time Jesus just looked at them and it was, they were thousands of people in front of them and they were hungry the scripture says they weren't just hungry, they were hangry, like they were about to pass out. And so Jesus was like, we got to do something. We can't just leave them like this. And the disciples were like, just send them away. Jesus looked at them and he said, what do you got? And you guys probably recognize this story because they just had like a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. And then what happened when Jesus gave, when the disciples gave that to Jesus, everybody was fed. Not only were they fed, the scriptures say that they were satisfied, which means they were were full. Nobody was lacking, which there's some truth in that right there. And so if you're a beer, maybe Jesus is just looking at you and asking you, just give me what you got. You don't want to fix everything. You don't need to start with everything. But just give me what you got. And so the question for you is who besides you needs to receive what God has given you? Because the truth of it is like you cannot take in any more of God's grace and mercy. Like when he said it was finished on the cross, that means you got all you needed. You got all you needed for eternity. It was done. So you don't have to sit there anymore and saturate in that. You got what you need. So who besides you needs to receive what God has given you? And so for you beers, like when you you know you're drifting over into that B-side and you really honestly know like, God is probably asking me what I got. I want you to remember this verse and think of this verse. And it comes out of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I want you to look at this as maybe your challenged verse or let's just call it your invitation verse. It's God's invitation to you to identify with him. Because as I described, what we saw in Jesus was he was willing to identify with us. He was willing to leave everything he had so he could identify with everything that we would go through. He didn't dismiss any human emotion. He gets it. And so if he identified with us, let's identify with him as beers. Let's go identify with him in his work in restoring the world and bringing hope to the people around us. So what if you physically can And we hear this a lot of times, like because as, as a church, we want to be known as a church that lives out. We wanna have some street cred. We wanna live out what God is teaching us here. But what sometimes if you physically can't? And sometimes we tend to think, I can't be a good follower of Jesus. I can't become if I can't do. But the truth of that matter is like, you don't always have to use your hands to do that. I believe that God has just given us words and he's given you truth if you're a beer, beer you know those truths because you're reading about them. Somebody else maybe needs to hear them. And it could just be a text to a friend or a neighbor that just you're bringing them hope into their situation. Or I am 100% convinced that when we get to eternity, we see the big picture of everything. I think what we're gonna realize God is gonna let us in on is that there was so much work done in his kingdom that our hands never even touched. And it was because we prayed. It was because we asked him to intervene. It was because we asked him to go before us. And so if you're that beer and you just can't physically do, or your schedule doesn't allow it, don't let that stop you. Because what work of God can't you do that he's asking you to pray it through? Because there's gotta be something. Because you look at the world, the world needs our prayers. Our community needs our prayers. And you can be a part of establishing that kingdom work here on earth. So think about this if you're a beer. What if doing the work of Christ led to building and healing in the body of Christ? Because we need you, we need you beers, We need you to be that. We need you to build up his kingdom. So let's look at the doers for just a minute. And to you doers, he wants you to be a part of his miraculous work, the things that he is doing that you don't even that you can't even see. He wants you to be a part of that. But where has gotten where have you gotten caught up in all the work and all the activity of God that it's no longer worship of God? Because that can easily happen. What started off as worship has now just become work. Or For even a beer, what started off as like a good practice is just to become a religious ritual. And that tends to happen sometimes. What is drowning out the voice of God to you and all the crazy, the chaos that you feel like you got to run to? And so here's a verse for you. It's found in Psalm 46. And it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I wish we had time to look at this whole psalm. Maybe it's something you guys can do this week because it's really beautiful and it has a lot in it. But the first part of that is perfect because it just describes calamity and chaos. Like the mountains are falling into the sea. Like the earth is trembling. Like all sorts of bad things are going down. And I feel like as a doer, your life feels like that. Sometimes there's just, it may not be to to that realm, but just things are always going around you, chaos, uncertainty, whatever it is. And as a doer, you feel like you got to run full speed into it because you got to fix it and you got to take control of it. But what Jesus is saying to you is just be still, just be still and know that I am God. I got it is what he's saying. I'm exalted among the nations. I'm exalted in the earth. all the way around you, I've got it. Beyond you, I've got it. And inside you, I've got it. And one version even just said like, just stop your striving. Like you're just running too hard and you're running after the wrong things. Instead, just run after me. And for some of you, you just need five minutes. You just need seven minutes just to be still and just to be with him. So out of those moments, you can make your best yes so what is drowning out God's voice to you if you're a doer? And what if this? What if resting in the supernatural allow God to work in the natural? Because I believe that when you give him those minutes, the small minutes that you may have, he multiplies them. And it's amazing when he does it. And you get to understand what it's like to be still in front of him. And so this is gonna take practice. This is actually kind of hard work. Cause like I said, we're moving from a world operating system, the way we've been trained, the way the world operates, and we've got a function in it. But yet we have to start thinking out of a kingdom mindset. What is it like to be with God? What is it like to do with God? What is it like to exchange our religious rituals and our practices and really just begin to feel that life giving stream and flow that he wants us to experience? because that's when we're gonna be able to dig out what he's put inside us. If you haven't guessed already, I tend to be a doer. Some of it's just by wiring and some of it's by dysfunction. And I don't know if I would have this role here at the summit because my role here is to help all of you serve. It's to help you get out there in the community and love and serve people. And in the world, it's making those connections. And so that's part of what I do, but because that's what I do and that's the way I've been wired, I've had to really work to get to that other side, to get to that B side. And as ridiculous as this sounds, it started out with me just putting a blanket over my head because even the shadows with my eyes closed was too much for me. It was like something's happening. I gotta take care of something. Something's going on. So I had to put the blanket over my head and set the alarm clock. And seven minutes feels like an eternity if you're a doer, doesn't it? Like it feels like it's never gonna end. But eventually, I didn't need the alarm clock anymore, and I could be still without the blanket. And I've learned to treasure that time. Because the reality is, if we don't get this right, we're going to miss something. Like last week, we talked about bringing purpose into every single moment but I'm afraid if we don't get this being and this doing right and it coming from Jesus, like we're gonna miss our potential. There's so much impact that we can make individually and as a church. And if we can't get this being and this doing together, this becoming that Jesus is calling us to, we're gonna miss out on some really good stuff. We're gonna miss out on some miracles that he wants to do. And so we have to get this right as a church because I believe that the same thing happens for us as a church. He put eternity inside each one of you, a greater end inside each one of you. And he did it for us as a church too. That before the first shovel was dug for this church, before it was even dreamed of, God was like, I got great plans for them. They're gonna make an impact in this community. They're gonna lead people to me. People are gonna see what it looks like to be with me because of them. And so we've got to practice this together. And what I love so much about this whole water theme we've got going on here is that Jesus calls himself the living water. He says that's who he is. And when we come to him, streams of living water flow through us. And when we go back to that Psalm 46 and we see it not just there, but all throughout scripture, there's this stream and there's this tree that is described. Not like the trees that you saw that were, that were dead, but he describes these trees that, that are by a stream of that living water and their, tree, their leaves never wither. They always stay green and it bears fruit in season and out of season. Even if it's a hard season or not a hard season, or it's good or it's bad or the earth is falling apart or there's so much uncertainty, it doesn't matter. That tree is living, that tree is producing. And that is who he's calling us to be as his followers of him. He wants us to become. But the awesome thing, we all know, we don't get this right every single day and we're not going to, there's no pressure there. Take that down. We're not gonna get this right every single day. But the beautiful thing is that we have grace. It's what he died for, is that we live in that grace until we learn to become.